0: This morning we're going to look at Luke chapter five verses 27 through 32, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and find that. We're going to get there in a moment. Luke chapter five verses 27 through 32. We're going to talk about Jesus and how He is a friend of sinners. But first, uh, I'm a little overwhelmed. Um, this has been a great joy for me in multiple ways. Uh, we don't get to do stuff like this where I'm from. I'm actually from Texas, but I live, live, I've lived in Seattle since 2015. I'm overwhelmed because I'm sitting over there and I'm thinking about all the investment that this church has made in my life and in my family's life, our church's life, and our city's life. I know that some of you parents uh, decided that you trusted God and and you trusted your leaders to send some of your your most the most precious people in the world to come to uh, Seattle and serve last summer, which means a lot to us. We don't get this kind of fellowship. We have fellowship. We've, there are some believers, but we uh, oftentimes, I think, our church feels alone and, and feels secluded because there aren't so many people. We don't get together like this. And and it's just, it's just I'm grateful that you sent people because they are such uh, such life-giving and infusing energy into us. And not only our church and in our family, but also uh, our city. And our city, uh, even though it's in the United States, and even though we speak the same language, it is a, mis- it is a city that needs mission. And we think of ourselves as missionaries because, because 95 to 96% of the people who live in our city, a city of uh, 760-something thousand people, they don't believe. And they don't just say, man, I'm looking for a great church. And so that's why we want to be people who are present among people. We want to invite them to our table. We want them in our life. We want to love them. And we've, like we've talked about this weekend, people are not projects. They are people. And so we want, to, we want to love them well. And you as a church have helped us do that. And you're helping us do that just by the way you've loved me and my daughter. My daughter, uh, Evie, is here today. I'm, I'm very grateful uh, that I got to to do this, to come with her, it's it's a dream of mine, and it, I love that she gets to see other people who are around her age who love Jesus. I'm a dad, and I want to I say something else to the parents. Uh, this, is, this is unplanned, but I think it needs to be said. I want to say something to parents, whether you are new parents or whether you've been parents for a long time. I want you to know that with all the wonderful influences of the people in this room, you are the greatest influence on your kid's faith. Other people come around and support, and they build that up. But you are the greatest influence in, in your child's faith. If my daughters are going to see real faith, they're going to see it in me. If they're, gonna, they're not going to just take what I say I believe. They're going to see what I really believe and what I really value, and they're going to follow that or rebel against it. I just want you to know that God's heartbeat for you as parents is to show what it means to have a real, living, confident faith in Jesus. So show them that. They need that. Oh, man, what a privilege to do that. So my, before we look in this passage, I want to say one more thing. I just want you to know that my, my goal in this I hope is the the Holy Spirit's goal in this is that you would, as we leave, you would have a deeper appreciation for the person of Jesus, that you would appreciate and you would love and you would admire what he has done for you even more, so much so that you find rest for your soul in that, and so much so that you want other people in your life to find the very same rest for your soul, so much so that maybe you even, Take tax collectors and sinners and bring them around your table. So let's, Luke, let's look at Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. This is the word of the Lord to us. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. After this, he went out. He here is Jesus. He is the main character of the story. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat And drink with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord to us. So, first, we're gonna gonna have three points this morning, three different phases of this text and what we're gonna talk about. And the first one is this the first one is, We're going to talk about a great adventure of following. Oftentimes when people say, how are things, Wes? How are things in Seattle? I will answer this way. I will say something like, well, it's an adventure. And depending on the day, that's either a really good thing or a really hard thing. One of the truths of following Jesus is that it is not boring. If you want to keep a safe and boring life, don't follow Jesus. It's a great adventure of following. And Levi here, we see Levi, tax collector, In other places he's described as Matthew. Matthew, Levi. Levi, Matthew. And Jesus comes up to him. We don't know everything that has gone on here, but what we do know is Jesus walked up to him, and he said to him, follow me. While Levi was at work, and Levi did the incredible, and he actually followed and left everything. He could not stay where he was and follow Jesus. So Gene, Levi left everything. I have, a, I have a friend named Sean that I, I hike with regularly. It's either every week, usually on Thursday, and every other week. He's not a believer. He's a, he's a skeptic, and he's a brilliant man. He's a friend of mine. I actually like being around him, and we get together, and sometimes we have lunch, but then we we go hiking, and we always have intense discussions about meaningful things that thankfully always lead to Jesus and the gospel, and he, I think he gets tired of it, but at least, but we're friends, right? So we're friends, so he doesn't get too tired of it. And one day, I said to him something to the effect of, I said, Sean, if I'm, if I'm not if what i believe isn't true what i believe about jesus isn't true then i am a fool to go all in this is i'm i'm referencing a passage in 1 corinthians 15 if 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 jesus isn't alive if he wasn't resurrected then i am a fool for going all in but if he is alive and he is resurrected then it'd be foolish not to. And the, the, the truth that I want to tell you this morning is that I want to tell you that Jesus is alive. He's alive and well. I can see it in you, I can see Him in you. It helps me believe and remember that. But even though that's the truth, it's easy to believe a convenient lie. And that convenient lie, lie is going in with Jesus is too much. We hear this from our culture. We hear this in ourselves. Or we hear this from our friends. People that would say, and I've heard this from my friend Sean, don't get too caught up in religion. You need balance in your life. Don't go too far. Don't go too deep. Don't go, don't follow him too too far. Go. It's good. This kind of religion stuff that you had is good as long as it doesn't really affect. Anyone else or you. Levi followed. He's not just following a path. He's not just following a way of life. He's not just learning new ways to be obedient, even though some of that's true. He was following a person. He didn't leave his job. He didn't leave his lifestyle because he was compelled by new rules. He was compelled by the person of Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't just say follow. He says, follow me. He he's it's an invitation to be with him. Yes, it's an adventure. It's going to be an adventure. He doesn't tell, he doesn't tell Levi, like he didn't tell Peter and the other guys. He didn't tell them where they were going to go. He just said, Come with me. And there's something compelling about Jesus where they trusted him. Levi had a great gig probably made good money, He was safe, may have had a nice place. We know he didn't have a great reputation, but he did have some friends because he invited him to a party. But Levi wasn't compelled by the promises of the life that he had. He was compelled by the person of Jesus. He had been, like we do, just simply following his own best thinking. Or what people around were telling him, they were telling him what to do. And it is easy to say to Jesus, I will follow you. I will follow you, but I'm gonna follow you on my own terms. Here's a list Jesus, I'll follow you. Sounds great. I love the adventure, but here are my demands I want to be safe, I want to be warm. I want to be wealthy. I want to never have a time where I'm going to wonder where my income's going to come from. I want to keep, Jesus, I'll follow you, but let me keep my comfort, my safety, and my freedom. And Let me say this. I think as much as I think God wants to give us freedom, and he does, more freedom than we can find anywhere else, freedom to do what we think is best is one of the predominant idols in our culture. We are going to have to be people who say, I'm going to let go of the freedom of control of my life and say, I I am going to go in the freedom that Jesus gives me in following him, which is a better freedom, a more substantial, lasting freedom. For me, what I want to keep control of is the assurance of income. I wish I could tell you my story. I can't now. We don't have enough time. But if I could tell you... I knew long ago that I needed to do something like we're doing now, but I was so afraid. I was so afraid, and I stayed where I was, even though what I was doing, I worked in the oil and gas industry, and that's good work, and I would, it was good work, and I'm, something to be proud of. But for me, I was, I was acting fearfully because I knew there was an another adventure that Jesus was calling me to that I didn't want to do because I was afraid because I wanted assurance of income. And when we moved to Seattle, my, I don't know if my daughter knows this, but we didn't know where our income was going to come from. But God has provided every day. We've eaten every day. I think think my daughter has eaten every day since then. (laughs) For me, I want assurance of income. I want assurance of security. I want control of my days. And I want what I want desperately. I want it desperately. Do you feel that too? What is it? What is it that you're afraid to lose? What is it you're afraid to let go of control of? One of the things that we might, you know, not, not head belief, but like real deep heart belief, we might think that, yes, we know, we know we can trust ourselves to Jesus, but our real deep belief, the one that motivates us, is the one that says, if I, if I follow him and I go all in, I'm, I'm going to lose. I'm just going to lose. It's going to be cruel But what we would leave behind when we follow Jesus is not worth what we gain in being with him. What is it for you? What is the one thing that you won't give up on, that you hold tightly to, and that you defend desperately? That is what he is calling you to deal with right now. Levi willingly left everything he had, but he knew in Jesus that he was gaining everything he deeply wanted, and so he followed, and that's how we follow. A great adventure of following. Next, a great feast with failures. A great feast with failures. I've used this word a lot this weekend, and I'm wondering if I should because I don't want anybody to hear that that's... That's what defines us. We we are not those of us who are in Christ. We are not defined by our failure. It's the reality. We the reality is sin is a failure of in relationship with God, but it does not define those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. I just want you to hear that, and I want to tell that. I want to tell that. I want most of my friends around us are high performers. They are people who are they're executives in world class world class company, multi billion dollar companies and, and they are, they've done nothing all their life but perform, 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 and they are good at it. They don't need Jesus in their mind. They do need Jesus. He is Lord, whether they agree to that or not. Well, that's one of the reasons we live there. We live in a neighborhood in Seattle that has around 25,000 people, and as far as I know, we're the only expression of a, of a gospel church. There are other churches, but... Um, but they believe they believe very differently than we do. They don't believe that the cross meant anything more than just a symbol of what love should be. But one, one of the things we want to do to connect with those people is we want to throw the most meaningful parties in the neighborhood. What I actually tell our church is that I, we want to throw the best parties in the neighborhood. Now, some of you might squirm as I say that because all you know about parties are just the the raging keggers and the things or the next day you feel, you feel sorry for what you did and you, you're too hung over to really apologize to anyone. But that's not what I'm talking about. We want to throw the most meaningful parties in the neighborhood. And what we, what we can see here is we want to follow Jesus' lead because Jesus showed up at a party here. There's a party thrown for him. He was a guest of honor in this party. Jesus went to parties. He celebrated. It wasn't selfish. It wasn't sinful. When he people wanted to be with him and when he got there, he made the parties more meaningful. He showed them, he gave them a reason to celebrate rather than just indulging in sin. There's something better than sin. He showed them that when he was with them. And just just think, the fact that I I, I mean maybe I'm not shocked enough at this, but Jesus was invited to a party with sinners. And he showed up. He got there. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't concerned about the awkwardness. He wasn't really concerned about what would be said if he'd have the right words to say. He showed up. He came to their table. It's scandalous that Jesus showed up. And he defies our expectations. Because I don't, somewhere in my mind, I think that Jesus shouldn't be here, but this is his heartbeat. This is what he did. This is what he did to reach people. This is what he does to reach us. He shows up with sinners. Both Levi and his friends were known failures. If you're familiar with tax collectors, tax collectors in that day were traitors and sellouts. They, the people around had harsh words for tax collectors because, you, because that time they were living among the rule of Rome, the Roman Empire, and it was a period of time called the Pax Romana. It was a piece of Rome. It was a time where it was relatively peaceful all around the empire. Uh, the, the place where they are here is underneath that Roman Empire. and But it, but it wasn't just peace as... We think it, we want it's peace as long as it's peace as long as you do what I say. And so you could tell, you could tell this by how they punished, how Rome punished people. So they, they didn't take people who were going to be executed or punished and they didn't put them safely away somewhere where the populace didn't see them. What they would do was they would take these people, shame them publicly, put them on a cross to suffer, so everybody would know, don't mess with Rome. Rome was a power not to be trifled with. Don't speak up, don't speak out, don't rebel. And that's what they did. And Levi was part of that system. He made that happen. He was somebody who came along and said, and took money from people and gave it to the people that oppressed them. He, was, he had very few fans in the world. Levi and his buddies were exacting money off of their own people. They were enemies of their own people. And they were determined sinners. They were collaborators, and they were unapologetic about it. What's scandalous here is Jesus knew all that. And he showed up anyway. The Pharisees come into the story. If you're familiar with the Pharisees, they were a religious sect, and they were were known for keeping the law and just being good all around people. They're people that you look up to. They did it right. They were were the religious people. They were the ones who did it right. They weren't the sinners. They were the religious people. The people that everybody should be like in some way. The Pharisees here in this, in this passage, and it says in verse 30, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? If you, if you think about it for a moment, they were, they were right about the tax collectors. They were scandalized in a way we might not be if we're familiar with this story. We're familiar with Jesus. They were, they were scandalized. I can't believe Jesus calls himself a holy man and he shows up with these unholy people. They got the tax collectors better than we do, and they understood that, but they were wrong in what they expected from God. I want you to see here how Jesus relates to the tax collectors and sinners. I want you to notice there's no mention of repentance before Jesus came. No mention of it. Okay, That's all I'm saying. There's no mention of repentance before Jesus came to meet with them. He didn't say, hey, I'll show up if you get cleaned up. Jesus did not demand that they make themselves right before he came. He showed up so that they would repent and believe. He wanted to show them a real reason to turn and believe. There's a beautiful danger in spending time with sinners. I mean, really, I've kind of told you most of our life is around people who don't believe. And we have a lot of fun with that. It does get awkward, and, it, and sometimes it feels lonely. And there's a danger with it. But the, the danger isn't the loneliness and the awkwardness. The danger is what starts to come out of me and might come out of us as we, as we start to engage people who are lost. We start to see how much, how strongly we believe and we have confidence in ourselves. We might say things like this. Why don't they just clean themselves up? Or we might say to ourselves, maybe not even consciously to ourselves, man, at least I'm, I don't do it right, but at least I don't do what they do. And in one of the most insidious lines, things that we can say to, say to ourselves is, I'm glad that I am here to help them. As if we're their benefactor and we're better than them. But who Jesus ate with shows the depth of his humility. He didn't come to them. He knew. He sees their sin. He knew his holiness. But he didn't come to them. He didn't come to them with arrogance. He came to them with humility. And in that, it, he showed them the depth of his resilient love. He showed them a new way of life, a new way of living, a new kind of heart. When Jesus, in other places, when Jesus was called a friend of sinners, he didn't shy away from it. He didn't say, no, I'm not, I don't spend time with those people. No, he didn't correct them. When his his enemy said, Jesus is a friend of sinners, Jesus nodded. Yes, yes. He's not a friend of sin, but he is a friend of sinners. I want you to see here that having dinner with these, with these guys, Jesus went as far as not just showing up, not just being there. That's scandalous in itself. He didn't just befriend them. That would be a big deal. That's huge that he was going to be friends with sinners but in his character and in his eyes and in his words and later in his actions, he showed that he would even give the whole of himself for these people. First point, talked about a great adventure of following the second. We talked about a great great feast with failures. And finally, we're gonna talk about a great hope for Pharisees. Great hope for Pharisees. You see this? If you if you're familiar, you've been around the Bible, been around the gospels, heard about the Pharisees, you know it's kind of like the villains just showed up in the story. Oh, they they look good on the outside, but Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers. He said, You are the you are hypocrites to these guys. He said, you look good on the outside. You are well put together. But on the inside, you haven't paid any attention to the darkness and the evil that's in you. There's a thing here that Jesus, you see, throughout Scripture, and you see here, is that Jesus was also not afraid to reach out to Pharisees, and this is good news. One of the things that. One of the things that I've heard other people say over and over, and I've come to realize and believe, and I see this all all the time, is that the default mode of the human heart is self righteousness. Let me tell you what I mean. It was being at a neighborhood event where I lived in Seattle three months. I didn't know anything about anything about Seattle. And, and I went to this, there was an event put on by the city about putting a homeless encampment about a quarter of a mile from our house, a city-sanctioned homeless encampment. And as you can imagine, a very wealthy, put-together neighborhood was not real happy with group of outsiders and people who are living homeless being living near them. So I went to this meeting, and I stood in the back, and I watched as the, the assistant mayor led the meeting, and people got up to the microphone to share their points of view on whether or not this encampment was going to happen in our neighborhood. Well, what we didn't know that night, it was, it was going to happen one way or the other. But they were giving us an opportunity to either speak for it or complain about it. And so there was a long line. I, there had to have been 50 people in this line that wanted the microphone to share, with, share what they thought. And the first people came up very with this posture of very, uh, being very compassionate. I'm going to say it's pseudo-compassionate. But they grabbed the microphone and point to the other people and say, I can't believe these people over here don't want our homeless neighbors to live by us. Shame, 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 shame. And then, then the next person would get up and say, well, let me tell you, I care about my property. I, I don't want this here because I care about our property values. I don't want the drugs. I don't want our kids to be affected. And, and then, but they'd say with this sense of pride. And as I, as I sat in the back of the room and I watched and I listened, I thought, this was new to me because I thought it was just religious people who were self-righteous. Then that day I recognized, maybe for the first time, that's a human issue, not a religious issue. Sometimes we just use religion to be judgmental, but it comes from our heart. It's who we are apart from Jesus. The default mode of the human heart is to be self-righteous unless something changes us unless we are compelled by something different, more meaningful, unless there, there are people that I know, people who I've heard them say this in the last 24 hours, said that they're afraid to be a part of a church because they feel like they're going to be judged. Some of that is, is insecurity and fear, and, but some of that we've earned because we have not been like Jesus, and people know it. Tim Chester, in, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, which is one of my favorite books, if you, I highly, highly recommend it. I wish I had a copy to give to every one of you. Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says this. The Pharisees knew God's kingdom was going to be a party. Their objection was with the guest list. Oh, man, that's piercing. Because oftentimes, that's my thought. I want my people that are like me who do things like I do things, to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, the party that's coming, the table, the feast that Jesus is putting out for us, now and in eternity. The Pharisees knew God's kingdom was going to be a party. Their objection was with the guest list. There was a sense that the Pharisees were right when they saw the sinners, we called them sinners. They were right in that. The problem, the other problem is they didn't see themselves like they should have. They didn't see their own self-righteousness. They didn't see their own need. They didn't call themselves sinners. This is our temptation. It, it creeps in slowly. Day after day, we, do, we, we get in a pattern of doing things well, or at least the way we think things are well. We, we live up to our expectations or other people's expectations, or we think we're living up to God's expectations, and then slowly this creeps in this this pride, this self-righteousness, and it drives us away from people who are, quote, sinners like we are, and makes us think we're better than them, and therefore we can't be around, we shouldn't be around the table with them. With the Pharisees and what we often miss is that there's no real difference between the traitorous tax collectors and the graceless Pharisees. No real difference. Just they are just different expressions of the same dead heart. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I want you to, I want to I want to read this. I didn't 8:30, but I, I want you to hear this. In Ephesians chapter 2. Would you notice the That's rough. And it, you might lose hope, and you might just tune out because you're like, ah, uh, yeah, that's, I don't, nobody wants to be told that they're dead in their trespasses and sins. One of the things about the gospel and sharing the gospel, and I would, uh, one thing that I've noticed, I, I've, I've told the students this weekend, I am a, I am a people pleaser, I am an overly nice guy, and I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings to a fault. And what I notice is that when I just share truth with people, they get upset. They're not upset with me. They're upset with the reality. They're upset with the reality because the Spirit will come to us and say, let me show you, put up a mirror. Let me show your heart. Let me show you who you really are. And if you have not put your faith in Jesus, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead meaning this. You may have no desire for God at all. There's nothing in you that says, I want Jesus. I can see his beauty. I want to know him. He seems foolish. He seems out there. And so, but I want you to notice in that passage, it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That verb is past tense. He's talking to people who were. You know what that means? That means there's some hope. The very next of the very next word, verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. But, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I want you to hold on to this. If you are a follower of Jesus tonight, I want you to, uh, today, not tonight, we haven't gone that late. <laughs> If you are a follower of Jesus, you are alive. You're alive. You are living the fullness of life. You, might, you may not feel that day by day. But Jesus, the alive one, is living in you. He has given you his life. Oh, it's beautiful. If, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus and put your faith in him, you're not alive, but you can be and he wants you to be. He wants us to come around a table with him so he can make us alive. Levi, the tax collector, and the tax collectors looked to their money and status with Rome to save them. The Pharisees looked to their own goodness to save them. Jesus showed up so that they all looked to him to save them. It's easy to slip into old habits, it's to lose the sweetness and rest of grace, to fall back into, I'm gonna be good. I'm gonna be a good boy or girl. I'm gonna show God, I'm gonna show him what I can do. I'm gonna show him I can live up to his expectations. The gospel creates conflict. Because when we hear the truth, we recognize and see what Jesus does, we recognize we cannot live up to his expectations. We can't live up to our own. But Jesus, by showing up, coming around, he says to both tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees, you don't have to prove yourself any longer. As a matter of fact, don't. He calls tax collectors like us and Pharisees like us not to striving, not to working, but to resting and trusting. I'm going to say, maybe somebody needs to hear this. Stop trying to be a good-hearted person. Stop striving. Your work that Jesus said is your work, is to trust him like a child, to rest in him. That's your work, to trust. But even that is not your work. <laughs> even that, Jesus showed up and it says in verse 31, Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need for, of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to Repentance. Jesus never saves good-hearted, striving people because there are no good-hearted people. Jesus always only saves those who are sick. So embrace it. Don't live in it. Don't, Don't swim in it. Don't dive deep into it. Just embrace the reality that Jesus came to save sinners. And we are one. This is good news to Pharisees like us. That Jesus comes to sit at our table and lead us to repentance too. His grace extends to those who think they have it all together and those who know they don't. Our response to those people in our lives who are the outsiders, who are the sinners, who are the tax collectors, who are the Pharisees, our response to those people in our lives tells us what we really believe about who God is. If we are willing to welcome them, it's only because we understand that he welcomes us willingly. That he gave his life on a cross in order that we might sit at his table and know his love. Levi rose and followed. He didn't merely agree, he didn't merely assent to an idea, his whole self was involved. He acted on his spirit-inspired will. He was unreserved. It wasn't merely a religious quest, but he wanted to be with a person who is worth infinitely more to him than what he left behind. And Jesus himself becomes compelling. We want to follow him. You don't have to. Are you willing... Are you willing... To face the reality that Jesus is Lord and not just confess it, but come underneath it and say, Jesus, I, not only are you Lord, I want you to be my Lord of everything, all I am. Are you willing? And are you willing to follow him to a place to become a person who might sit with sinners, love the unlovable? Because you recognize that that's who you were, but now you're alive? The good news is no matter if you are a sinner or think you have it all together, Jesus is willing to come sit at your table. He wants to make you alive, He wants to bring you into His family, and He wants you to know that His love is inexhaustible and resilient, and it's personal to you. Oh,